0: Well, happy Sunday, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Like the, uh, the video said, my name is Reed Smith. My wife, Emily, and I are campus ministers up on the peninsula on the campus of Christopher Newport University, and we're just so thankful that we get to be doing ministry in this way. We're just thankful in general this time of year. I know this, this season we've been in with COVID has been stressful. It's, it's been the cause for a lot of uncertainty. But I hope over the last few days, you all have gotten a chance, and everybody tuning in online, everyone has gotten a chance to just pause and be reminded of all the things we still have to be so, so grateful for. But for this morning, I actually, I, I want to I talk a little bit about something that most of us aren't so thankful for, at least uh, in the moment they're happening. I want to I start by talking about Tests. Okay? I work on a college campus and I I ask students when I meet with them what's what's something I can be I can be praying for about your life and what's going on. And like the number one thing without fail they ask for prayer for are exams. So some of us here and some of you watching online, you 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 understand this feeling because maybe you're in this season where you're in school and you're taking tests regularly. You know how stressful that can be. Maybe you're here and uh, it's been a while since you sat down and took a multiple choice, but you remember how it made you feel. I, I've been out of school for, for a little bit of time now, and I still will have these dreams at night sometimes. Maybe I'm not the only one. We're like, I, I will be in college, okay, and there's, there's some test that I, that I have the next day that I just found out about how could I miss this? How could I be so stupid? I haven't studied, and I'm freaking out. What will I do? I'm going to tank this my whole college career down the toilet, and I'll wake up in like a cold sweat. My wife's like, what's going on? I'm like, okay, it's good. We're fine. We're fine. Maybe I'm not the only person. Uh, Hopefully not. Maybe that's happened to you as well. Tests can be really stressful. They can be really hard. Most of the time, in the moment, tests are not fun. But they can be really good for us. I want to share a verse from James chapter 1. It says this at the beginning of a letter. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God's word says time and time again, and here really explicitly, that we grow when we face some sort of opposition. We are strengthened when we wrestle. But the question we've been asking in this series is, what about when we wrestle with God? What happens then? This has been the essential question for, for quite a few weeks. You guys have been looking at different stories, different characters who have wrestled With God. And I get the the privilege today, I get to cap off this series by talking about one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible, and that is Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles here, you can go ahead and search that reference. If you're online, you can grab your Bibles and open those up. You can also follow along with the text we'll put on the screens. In this passage today, we're actually going to be going back to the story of Jesus, the Son of God, who in this story is wrestling with his father. As a kid, my brothers and I, we used to wrestle with our dad all the time, and it was always so much fun, and even now I'm convinced I uh, could not beat my dad, even though I'm a fully grown adult because he cheats. Uh, (laughs) This story, though, is not like that. This is not really a fun story. It's, It's not a really happy story. It's pretty heavy. It's a pretty emotional story, maybe one of the most emotional stories in all the Gospels. We're going to talk about what happens, and it's my goal in our time together that as, as we hear God's word and the story of Jesus wrestling with his own father, that we would be better prepared to face the tests that meet us. But before we dive in, let me just, let me just open up with a word of prayer. So bow with me. God, we we thank you for for being who you are, and as we look ahead to this next month of December, we, we think about you joining yourself with humanity. We think about you becoming man alongside us, and your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you walked in our shoes, that you understand what we're going through, and we thank you that you are like us, but also not like us, that you never sinned, that you are king and that we aren't, that you sit at the right hand of the Father and you speak on our behalf. We thank you that you are in charge of the universe and we trust it to you. This is in your name, Jesus, amen. So the story we're gonna be in, Matthew 26, is towards the ends of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And the events that we're gonna hear are actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is in the last few days of his life. And, you know, he spent the majority of his ministry doing miracles. He has attracted large crowds. People have come from all over the region to hear what he has to say. But, you know, no one really understands what Jesus is trying to do. They think they understand, but they haven't quite got it. So Jesus has a lot of fans around him, but he also has a lot of haters, A lot of people who think they know what Jesus is trying to do, and out of this sort of misguided sense of of holiness, they actually plan on killing Jesus. And Jesus knows this. He is fully aware, but uh, instead of going in the opposite direction, Jesus actually steps right into the crosshairs. Jesus goes right into the epicenter of his enemies, and that is the city of of Jerusalem. And some of Jesus's closest friends, like Peter, they, they think that Jesus is going to the city of Jerusalem to sort of take it over, to restore the city to its former glory. And they tell Jesus, hey Jesus, we're ready to die alongside you. And you know, if you end up succeeding and your kingdom comes, let's be at your left and right hand as you rule from the throne. They think that Jesus is coming as this military conqueror. And they go up to the upper room, and they're going to eat one last meal together. And, you know, if you read this in in the mind of the disciples, you might think that they were doing this to get their strength up, to, like, prepare for this battle that's coming. And that they'd eat dinner, and they'd grab their swords, and they'd go out to fight Romans and Herod or whoever else, and and lead an uprising. That's what you might think. But that's not what happens. If Jesus is uh, trying to stage a coup... (laughs) He's doing it all wrong. He spends the whole night talking about how he's going to die. He tells the guys in his inner circle that actually one of you is going to betray me. Not exactly an inspiring halftime speech, Jesus. He's not like Leonidas from 300, okay? He's not like uh, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Jesus is humble, and he leaves the city at that night with his disciples and says, hey, let's go up to the mountainside and let's, let's pray. It seems like Jesus is avoiding the fight that's ahead of him. But actually, that's the exact opposite of what's going down here. Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane to wrestle with God. So let's read in Matthew 26, and we're going to start in verse 36. So follow along. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, Jesus was in the habit of going off and praying alone. One reason for this was probably because Jesus didn't want to make a spectacle out of his prayer life, maybe like some of the religious leaders in his day. Jesus also had this passionate desire to be in relationship with his father. He made it a huge value in his ministry, despite the fact that in his day, Jesus may have been the most busy man in the entire world. And on the rare occasion, Jesus would actually take Some of his closest followers with him. One time he took Peter, James, and John, and the last time it happened in the story of Jesus, something incredible happened. We call it the Transfiguration, where basically these three guys were able able to see like the, the raw, unfiltered Jesus in all of his glory and splendor and might. It was incredible, it was beautiful, it was awe inspiring. But this time around, it's very different. This time around, Peter, James, and John, they go with Jesus, and instead of glory and splendor and like Moses and Elijah, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is weeping. I kind of imagine him ugly crying. He is vulnerable, and he's not trying to hide it. He isn't giving these three guys some epic spectacle. Instead, he just asks that they wouldn't leave him in his time of need that they would be present. And really, that's point one of what I want to get across, that I want to share and challenge us this morning. Sometimes the best way to comfort a grieving person is just to be there with them in person. It's not about having the right words, necessarily. It's, it's about being there and holding on and not letting go, and it's reminding them that they're not alone. And that's point number one. Life is not a fair fight, So fight together. Loneliness, I think, is one of the worst kinds of pains anybody can experience. And the holiday season, actually, is one of the times of year where we tend to feel this worse. I looked at some recent studies where something like 40% of Americans increase their loneliness in the holiday season. This tends to be something that is focused on older adults, but it's also very true of younger people, like the college students I work with. The months of November and December can just be really tough. And these stats that I, I was looking through this week were all before COVID, right? Before social distancing and everything else. And I can only imagine how much harder it is to be lonely here and now. And so that's just a challenge I want us to, to, to place on our shoulders to think through as we're, we're, we're considering this passage that we have an opportunity to comfort the lonely by our presence. Even if it is over Zoom, taking that time, sacrificing part of our day to be with that person. Maybe taking a walk with someone because sometimes screens can get really old, I understand. It's not something you have to do as as someone with a degree in psychology. You don't have to be an ordained minister. You just need to be fully committed to being present with a hurting person. Because, you know, the world will try to separate us. It will try to tear us apart. But when we're united, we can endure hardship. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says this at the last verse there in verse 12. It says, The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Man, loneliness, it can be brutal. And Jesus, he himself experienced this firsthand in the garden. Peter, James, and John, they just kept falling asleep, let alone stay lucid enough, right, to pray by Jesus' side. And so often we're like these guys. We're not paying attention to those people and need around us who just need us to be awake with them. So I challenge us to strive to do better. Jesus is wrestling with God alone, and we're going to pick up in Matthew 26, 39 through 42, the next part of this passage. It says, going a little farther... He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You know, not long before this, uh, Jesus and all these guys were in a boat together, and they were on the sea, and Jesus decided to take a nap, which, again, just reminds me how exhausted he must have been, how busy he must have been that you can fall asleep when a storm blows in, this chaotic wind, the disciples are freaking out, what's going to happen? They have little faith, and Jesus wakes up and he saves them. Now, we fast forward after that story. We're here in the garden, and now it's Jesus who's awake alone and the disciples who are all asleep. You see, they don't realize what the real threat is that threatens the kingdom. They haven't learned what the true danger is, and they retreat into dreams and fantasies and escape routes from the reality. Of what's going on, the agony that Jesus has to endure. Jesus is facing the greatest test of his life. He's wrestling with God because Jesus knows what the Father wants him to do. Jesus has to drink the cup of wrath. And uh, that's kind of a weird concept. It's one that, like we don't usually walk around saying in ordinary speech, the cup of wrath. so we're gonna we're gonna unpack that here in a second. And I think, the, the way that's helped me to understand this just in the last week or so was with all the rain that we had in Hampton Roads a few weeks back. All right, if you're watching this online and, and you're you're from out of town and and you didn't experience this, in some places like my backyard, uh, we got like eight inches in, in like a night. It was it was crazy. And I was one of those people who, you know forgot to, to put in all of my things uh, that were left outside. And so a lot of stuff got wet. It was raining sideways, so there was even a leak in my house. It was, it was crazy. But uh, one of the things I left outside was this wheelbarrow that ended up getting completely filled. No exaggeration, like to the brim. It was wild. This thing was so, so full of water. And a few days later, I had to go use it. I was like, okay, I need to go dump this out. And as I did, it all comes out at once, like this huge rushing sound it was kind of cool, I'll be honest, right? Like, the inner, like, five-year-old me, like, wanted to find, like, an anthill that I could dump it over. But as I thought about that, it, it kind of brought to mind this, this weird image, like, what if somehow all the rain that we got in that one night that, that left, you know, a lot of streets flooded, what if it all kind of got caught in one giant bucket, one giant wheelbarrow, okay, and what if it was poured out in just one block of our community? Maybe one block here in, in Portsmouth or, or Newport News where I'm from. All of those millions and millions of gallons from this storm in one spot. or Maybe even on one person. Can you imagine just how awful that would be? The destruction, just the power of that. Keep that image in your mind because I think that will help us understand in just a little bit What Jesus is describing when he talks about the cup of wrath that he has to drink, all of God's wrath against humanity and our sin, locked and loaded, all concentrated in one point, in one person, and Jesus has to drink it to its dregs. That's the great test that Jesus has to endure, because the cup of wrath is going to take shape in the cross, And the question is, would he complete his mission that he was born for and die in the place of of disobedient Israel first, and then disobedient you and me? Would Jesus submit to God's will? That is his test. Would he pass? And thankfully, the answer is yes. Jesus would go on to drink the cup of wrath, which is the best news in the world. That's what the gospel is all about, guys. The gospel promises us that we have forgiveness now because of what Jesus did. And resurrection, like Jesus experienced, which is awesome. But here's the thing. The next challenge I want us to think about, the resurrection, it only comes after death. And that's point number two. Victory only comes through defeat. If you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, they're going to lead to one place. And that is the cross. Before you got the empty tomb, you have the cross. And as I think about this, this challenge is is so heavy. And this is one of the things I think I wrestle with God most personally. And and the students I work with, so many of them wrestle with it too. This idea that Jesus has drank the cup of wrath, and, and we deserve that punishment, but now we can be free from it. But still, as followers of Jesus, if we commit to him, we have another kind of cup and bread. This communion that we take every week, this cup that we take is an agreement. It's a commitment that we're going to be like miniature versions of Jesus. And we're going to do that in a way that points people back to him, the true Savior. We still have a cup to drink. And that means something really hard. That means change. That means obedience and submission and, you know, I, I love being a part of a church community and, and singing the songs. I love all the encouragement that this brings. But, like, when it comes to actually changing and being convicted of my sins and giving up things that I think are important for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of others, that's the hardest part, this dying to self that we're challenged with. I, I even, when the beginning of this COVID thing started, I, I hated inconveniencing myself with, with wearing a mask, my, gla- my glasses fogged up, all these things. It was so, so frustrating Because I want to be self-reliant. I want to say, God, my kingdom come. (laughs) But it's not that. It's your will be done, not mine. My kingdom can go so that yours can come. That is the challenge of the cross that's still so relevant for us. Are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to walk with a limp and get our name changed like Jacob did, that first man who wrestled with God that we talked about in weeks past? Are we willing to die to self pass this test. Be miniature versions of Jesus. That's what the name Christian really means. The cross is a challenge for us as well. But the story in the garden, it's going to reach a climax. This is in Matthew 26, 45 through 46. If you're following along, we're going to finish this up. It says that Jesus turned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping? Are you still resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And when Judas and the mob, they draw close to Jesus, they're going to capture him. This is what Jesus says. This is Matthew 26, 50. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. (laughs) Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Jesus doesn't run away from danger. In fact, he goes towards it. But he doesn't meet these men and Judas in battle. He actually meets them in surrender. And it looks like Jesus is surrendering to, to Judas and the authorities. And at one level, maybe that's true. But that, at the end of the day, isn't really who Jesus is surrendering to in this story. At the garden, at the climax of his test. And this is so crucial, so don't miss this. Jesus isn't really surrendering to these men. He's surrendering to the Father. And it's this surrender that Jesus exemplifies what true victory looks like. Remember, victory comes through defeat. Evil can't control Jesus. Death won't even hold him down as we keep reading the end of the Gospels. And despite what he's going to have to endure when he drinks this cup of wrath, Jesus still can't help but love the people who have come for him to take him away to the cross. He even calls the betrayer his friend. And this leads to to point three, the last thing I want us to cover, the last thing I want us to think about. You know, in this series, in many ways, this has been like permission to wrestle with God, (laughs) permission to ask these questions, to to really, really think about difficult things so that we can be strengthened. And the point I want to close with is this, wrestle the right way with the right person. I'm going to say that again. Wrestle the right way with the right person. You know, starting, starting back in Genesis, with, with guys like Jacob and, and, and many other characters throughout scripture, we, we learn that, that is, as, as people, as humans in the sinful world, we wrestle with a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, that are fighting for, for our allegiance, maybe, our loyalty, our identity. Maybe the things that people wrestled with in Scripture are things that maybe you are wrestling with. Maybe it's, it's pride or wealth or power or prejudice or maybe just sinful behavior, these things that crowd around us. We wrestle with a lot of stuff. Maybe it's even people in our life. That's who we're wrestling with that, that just take up all our time and attention. They become maybe idols. They become our everything. And listen, church, All of this stuff that we might wrestle with will always, always pin us down in the end. It will always choke us out. Satan is a crafty opponent, and he's so good he can even make you think that you're winning, (laughs) but you're not, and he's got you right where he wants you. So when I say pick the right partner and wrestle the right way, what I mean is wrestle God instead. Of all the things you're going to wrestle with, Wrestle with him. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a struggle, it's a challenge, it's, it's the hardest thing you'll probably ever do. It certainly was for our Lord, Jesus Christ. But if we're gonna wrestle with all these things that are gonna beat us, that are gonna, that are gonna take us down, why not wrestle with God? Because he's the only one who can beat us and will beat us, but give us victory all at the same time. God doesn't wanna destroy you, but he wants to teach you He wants to teach you how to truly be men and women who bear his image, how to be who he created us to be. And he displayed that perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of God who wrestled with the father. And when Jesus, he's facing this great test in the garden, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus died. He drank that cup of wrath, but he was raised to life in glory. And it's my prayer that when we're faced with the test, whatever that might be, this year in 2020, you might be feeling and might be experiencing the greatest test you maybe have ever experienced. It's my prayer that we would take those words of Jesus and allow those to be our prayer, those to be our guiding light, that not our will, but your will be done as we are people wrestling with God. And I just want to close with Romans chapter 6, verses 5